So your outline there says Jesus uh, is our creator. Now, a couple of years ago, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci was sold for nearly half a billion dollars. Uh, it is the most expensive artwork which has ever been sold. And the reason for that is, is that the artwork shows or depicts the face of Christ. The face of Christ is not real, of course. We don't know how Jesus looked, right? But any face, any face of Christ plus Leonardo da Vinci, well, equals large dollar signs. I mean, equals millions. That is because Christ is the most famous person in history. In fact, we made that point last Sunday when we were looking at verse 15. Christ is our supreme. More artworks, songs, and books and movies have been done about Christ than anyone else. And no person has impacted human history like the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, our calendar is dated after him. So we are familiar with Christ. Our culture is familiar with Christ. But the problem is that familiarity breeds contempt. The more we are familiar with something, the more we treat it with contempt, isn't it? And that is what we do with Christ. All of us like to paint our vision of Christ. In The Simpsons or South Park, Christ is painted as a comedian. To the Jehovah's Witnesses, Christ is Michael the Archangel. The New Age leaders say Christ is a state of consciousness we can all aspire to. So everyone has their vision of Christ. But it's not just the crazies out there who abuse Christ and paint him in their own image. All of us do this. Every sin, every time we sin, we are saying something about what we think of Christ. Christ is God. We learned that last week. So when we sin against God, we are saying to Christ, you are nobody to me. You are not the boss of my life. You didn't create me. You don't matter to me. That's what we're saying. Now, all of us sin every day, right? Even if we're born again, we, we won't stop sinning. In fact, we won't stop sinning until we get to heaven or when the Lord Jesus Christ appears in glory. Until then, we will always be rebels against Christ in some way. But if we have repented of our sin and surrendered to Christ as our Lord and Savior, if we are true followers of Christ, the Bible says God has given us a new heart, right? And he has given us this heart that longs to live for Christ. Because his spirit now lives in us. And every day we are growing to have a desire to be like Christ. We are growing in our hatred of sin. And we are growing in our love for Christ. So the call of a Christian is to grow to be like Christ. But how do we grow to be like Christ? Well, we grow to be like Christ by doing all the things that God commands us in the Bible. Right? The Bible is the word of God. It, it tells us what God wants what God wants for us, what God wants for the world. 
And so we grow through reading the Bible and submitting to it. And one of the things that the Bible commands us to do is to grow in knowing Christ. Not just knowing about Christ, but knowing Christ relationally, personally. And the more we know Christ, the more we love him and the more we worship him, isn't it? We move away from having a false version of Christ to having a true version of Christ and living for this true version of Christ. And one of the passages in the Bible that teaches us about the true Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Now, we started looking at this passage, this section of Colossians, last week. And I said last week that this passage teaches us seven truths about Christ. Last week, we looked at two truths from verse 15. We learned that Christ is God. That was the first truth. He's the image of the invisible God. That taught us that Christ is God. The second truth we learned in the evening, for those who are here, is that Christ is supreme over all creation. Christ is the firstborn of all creation or over all creation. We learned that Jesus is number one. That was the second truth. Today I want us to look at the third truth about Christ, and it is in verse 16. This verse is teaching us what your outline says, which is Christ is our creator. Christ is our creator. For by him, verse 16 says, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So there are two things that I just want to share from this passage, from that verse 16. There are two truths, I think. This passage makes about Christ as our creator, and they're in our outline. The first truth is that Christ created all things, and the second truth is that all things are for Christ. So let's look at the, the first truth. The first truth is that Christ created all things. Christ created all things. You know, at school, in books and on TV, we are often taught that this world made itself. Yeah, that's what we're told. It made itself. One day there was nothing, and I mean not a vacuum, as in no existence. And then suddenly, it pops into being. And then we're told, from popping into being over a billion of years, it becomes this beautiful and complex world we see. And so we've got the Big Bang Theory that then leads to evolutionary theory. So we see this complex world that we see. And we can summarize this. <laughs> As simply, this teaching simply says, no one created you. You created yourself. That's essentially what you're taught in school. And that's what the world teaches you. Now, of course, they never put it like that in my summary, right? They say something like this. They say, nature created you. But it's the same thing. Because what they mean is you are part of nature. You came from that original nature that popped itself from nothing. And you're here now. You are your creator. That's essentially what they 
theory of evolution teaches you, the theory of the Big Bang prior to evolutionary theory teaches you. That's what he said. You are your own creator. This is what kids are being taught every single day, not just in the classroom. They're being taught that on TV. <laughs> They're being taught that in every song. You are your own creator. What do you make of that? It is the most evil idea that there is because he's saying you are your own creator. But it's also the most foolish idea that has ever been invented by man. It's the most foolish thing you can ever learn in school. And as I think about this, I suspect many who teach this don't really believe it. In fact, I think all of them don't really believe it. They know deep in their hearts that nothing can make itself. It is a sheer philosophical and scientifically impossibility. Nothing can make itself. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is it so popular? Why is it in your textbooks? Why are you spending time listening to songs about it, reading films, watching films, and sometimes reading them, isn't it? Why is it so popular? Well, it's, simple. it's very simple. It appeals to our flesh. The bent of every person is to be like God. We talked about that last week. That was a lie of the serpent to Adam and Eve. You will be like God. And that's, that lie has been repeated and is being repeated in the classrooms on television. You will be like God. It comes in different forms. And this is just one form, evolutionary theory. It's just one form of repeating the same lie. You are God. You will be like God. And so it's satanic. It is foolish. Because we are not God. We are not the creator. We are creatures. And we know from Genesis 1, which we read earlier, that the one true God of the Bible created all things. And the Bible is telling us now here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, that our creator has a name, and his name is Christ. Christ is God wearing our human skin. Christ created all things. He is the word that spoke the world into existence. Look at verse 16 again. For by him, that is Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. A couple of important phrases there. First of all, the phrase in heaven and on earth is another way of simply saying Christ our God created every place everywhere. If the Bible wants to summarize everything, it simply says, in heaven or on earth. Christ created the whole universe. You know, astronomers believe there are more stars in the universe that we, that we can see, right? That we can see now with our telescopes than there are grains of sand on all beaches and deserts on earth. And the amazing thing is that's just what we can see. We are discovering new worlds every day through greater and better telescopes. The universe just looks bigger and bigger every day that God has created. And all of it has the fingerprints of Christ on it. 
Every planet, we might say, has the logo of the logos. Right? It says, made by Christ. That's what the phrase in heaven and on earth means. Christ created every place, everywhere. The phrase visible and invisible there is another way of saying Christ created every form of existence. First of all, he created all the physical things we see, right? The physical world. Christ created this world we live in, a world in which we can see, hear, touch, smell, and taste, right? And Christ created the invisible world, the spiritual universe that we can't see. Because the Bible tells us we are not just a bunch of atoms. There is also the invisible spiritual universe. In this spiritual universe, there is heaven and, and the angels of God. There is also hell, the devil, and all evil spirits who live to oppose Christ. And that brings us to another phrase that we are reminded here. The phrase, thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. What is that talking about? Well, this is referring to rankings of good and bad spiritual powers. The Bible is saying Christ created all visible and invisible powers. And he created all things powerless or powerful. They exist by his creation. Verse 16, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. Notice that the word all is used twice there, isn't it? Because Paul is making it clear that Christ created everything without exception. Even you who may think you made yourself. He created it all. And amazingly, he did it all by himself. Did you notice that? For by him. That literally could mean in him. And notice there it says all things were created through him. You know, I was putting together a door house. um, A rather large door house for my daughter last week, right? And... It took me at least two hours. And I had the manual <laughs> to help me do it. You know, I had hoped to finish it before she came from school, right? So I started it, let's say, about 2 o'clock, or about 1.30, in fact, right? By 3 o'clock, I was still working at this. Wrong part, oh, wrong side. And then moving everything, wrong now, I had to change it. And I couldn't do it before she came, right? In the end, I had to pick her up from school. <laughs> and when she came, she actually gave me a hand with it. <laughs> she had to help me do it, to add something here. And I had to ask her, what number is that? That kind of thing, right? We struggle to make anything, even with the, a good manual, right? Yes, it wasn't Ikea, but it was still a good manual, right? But here we're reading that Christ created all things without any help, without a manual. He designed it from the scratch. And he created everything to work perfectly. Because when Christ finished all this complex work, the Bible says in Genesis 1, it was good. You, 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 you kept hearing that phrase in Genesis 1. And it was good. 
I don't know about you, but that blows my mind away. Think about just how complex the things that Christ has made. And he continues to make through people. Right? But think about just what he's made, that we have no ending. Like, for example, starting with your body. Have you thought about how complex your body is? Have you thought about that? Your brain has 10 billion nerve cells interacting in coordination to allow you to do the things you do. 10 billion nerve cells. Your eyes have about 100 million receptor cells in each retina. And that contains four other layers of nerve cells. So the eye makes billions of calculations per second. And these billions of calculations travel through your optic nerve to your brain. Your brain, which receives this, itself has a dozen separate vision centers to process this information from your heart. It's complex, isn't it? You didn't make that. God made that. Your skin, just your skin. Did you know that your skin has more than two million tiny sweat glands? About 3,000 per square inch to regulate your temperature. Did you know that? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I have not even mentioned your heart, your lungs, your immune system, and a lot more. And all of it works together from the baby born there from the, to the oldest person. And all of it was created by Christ. The Christ we see in the pages of scripture, the Christ who was born of the Virgin Mary, the Christ who died on that cross to save you from your sin. The Bible is saying that Christ is the God of Genesis, is our creator. You know, to say that Christ created all things, it's just another way of saying, repeating what we learned last week, Christ is God. Christ is also saying Christ is supreme. Why? Christ has no rivals. No one compares to him. No one has his power like Christ. No one has a mind like Christ. His mind is full of wisdom and knowledge. That's Christ, the Nazarene. Christ created all things. That's the first point. So what does that point mean then? What does it mean for you and I that Christ created all things? I think just two things there in your outline. First of all, it means that all things belong to Christ. If Christ created all things and he did, all things belong to Christ. Christ owns everything. Not you and I. What you learn in school says you own everything. This is why you're worried about the planet too much. It all links together. Let's worry about the planet because we created it. Right? Right? But the Bible says, no, all things belongs to Christ because he created everything. None of us here in this room owns anything. I know we are capitalists, so it's hard for us to, to, to get that. We are just renting this life from Christ for free. I had to remind myself that. Every person is alive in this world at, at Christ's Pleasure. It is all is. 
The air you breathe is not yours. The ground you walk on is not yours. The car that brought you here is not yours. The house you live in is not yours. Your spouse is not yours. Your kids are not yours. Your job is not yours. This church is not yours. This country is not yours. Even loving people we have in our lives, they're not ours. I had remembers of my mother wasn't mine. Listen, there's nothing you have that you created. You don't own it. Everything that you have, including you, your body belongs to Christ. And I think that the problem we have in this world is an ownership problem. Right? We forget this truth. The DNA of sin is trying to own, listen to me, it is trying to own what Christ owns. The problem in this world is that we are all spiritual thieves. We are trying to claim what is not ours. Why is there war in the Ukraine? Why is there war in the Ukraine? Well, you can get a lot of experts and the, the Council of Foreign Relations will tell you this, and you, you listen to this think tank, they'll say that. I'll tell you what the Bible would say about it. There's war in the Ukraine. Well, first of all, I would say there's war in the Ukraine because both Russia and NATO believe they own Ukraine. It's an ownership problem. It's an ownership problem. Both sides are trying to steal Ukraine from who? From Christ. From Christ. They're spiritual thieves. So we, of course, we... They won't get me on TV or anyone else to say this, but that's what Christian leaders at this moment should be telling everyone. This war is about spiritual theft. The parties involved believe the things of this world belong to people with power. Not to Christ who created all things and owns it all. And so that's why we have problems in our lives. That's why we have problems in the world. And if we remember this truth, we'd become humble, wouldn't we? This truth kills our pride, doesn't it? It releases us from the prison or dungeon of selfish living. It is challenging you this morning to repent of living as if you own your life. It is saying to you this morning, submit your whole life to Christ. It is saying, don't listen about taking back control. That's, that's ungodly. And over control to Christ. That's what God wants. This truth kills our selfish living. And this truth also is the death of our worries. You know, when I thought about this, I thought, this is what I need to hear. If you're a follower of Christ, you must remember that Christ owns everything you worry about. You know, if you're renting a house, right? If you rent a house, if you ever rented a house, do you, do you, did you stay up all night worrying about the house? Right? Now, if you're renting a house and something goes wrong, what do you do? What do you do? Call the landlord. <laughs> Call the landlord, right? Well, Christ is our landlord. We just rent our life for free. He created all things. All things belong to him. Now, that doesn't mean we should be irresponsible, <laughs> right? God, as our landlord, wants us to be responsible. He's put us. And, and we should show respect to him. 
We shouldn't be irresponsible. Right? We should be responsible. We shouldn't just do what we like with our lives. We should do it in the way that God our landlord, Christ our landlord, wants. And what it means is that whatever we have though, whatever we have, there's no need to worry about it. We know the owner is our Christ. The Christian should never worry because he's owned twice. Christ owns you as his creature and he owns you as his new creature, his new creation. So why worry about it? Have you got a problem today? Call the landlord. <laughs> right? Call Christ. Pray over it. Right? So this truth reminds us that Christ owns all things. It also reminds us that Christ has power over all things. Right? He has power over all things that happens in the world. Nothing is outside his control. The creature can never be greater than the creator. There is nothing in this world that is outside the power and control of Christ our creator. And beloved, this is so important for us to remember all the time, especially perhaps now. You know, life is tough, isn't it? The universe is vast, and our lives often feel very small, very insignificant. And maybe you are feeling like that this morning, today. You are perhaps struggling in your life, uh, perhaps your life at work, at home, or at school is very difficult right now. And you don't know where to turn, right? And then what you do is you turn on TV. And after the pandemic, you're hoping to see life come back to normal. But what you're seeing now is war-to-war deaths now. We, we're worrying about deaths before, but there are so many. These are more violent than the pandemic deaths. More heartbreaking, Right? And it's mentally debilitating. It's depressing when you watch this. I had to, I watched a few and I said, I'm not watching BBC. I'm just turning the whole thing off. It, it gets you down. And then what you do is you turn on the radio, right? And there is talk of rising prices. People are worried, angry, tired. It's hard. How should we respond to, to this as believers? Well, by remembering this truth. Christ created all things. And so he has power over all things going on in our lives. And again, this Christ is our Christ. So we must remember this big picture, isn't it? Remember, if you're a believer, Christ is your king. And he's not a small king, right? He's a king who rules over thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, that's your king, right? He created all things and he has power over all things. And so no, no matter what life throws at you, if you're trusting in Christ, well, verse 13 and 14 applies. You are self in his kingdom. You are self in Christ. So what should you do? Well, you should stay patient. You should stay joyful in every situation. Don't look at the world. Don't look at your circumstances. Keep your eyes firmly on Christ. He created all things. So that's the first truth. And then briefly, the second truth we learn from this passage the first truth is that Christ created all things. The second truth is that all things are for Christ. All things are for Christ. You know, there is a documentary series on BBC iPlayer. I was watching it over the weekend. It is done by, in fact, I've watched it twice now. It's done by Sir David Attenborough. It's called, now I'm not talking about the Green Planet. That's just propaganda. I'm talking about Africa, right? Africa. 
Uh, it came out in 2013, and I encourage you to watch it. It's breathtaking. You know, in one episode, right, Sir David takes us down underneath the Karahari Desert, right? There is an explored river teeming with life and many species. And of course, he gets excited, doesn't he? And you're excited along with him. That's episode one. And then there's another episode, right? We see the great Gugoren forest of Mozambique. And again, it's teeming with all kinds of plants and all kinds of animal life. And you know, when you watch it, it forces you to ask yourself, as a believer, is that why is there so much extravagant beauty on this earth? Lord, why did you create all of this? Some of it, no one will ever even see it. I mean, I ask that question even when I'm watching, like, you know, space exploration ones. You know, you look at Alpha Centauri. Like, so many, you know, planets there and stars. I mean, I'll never get there. Human beings may never even get to Alpha Centauri. Why is it there? Well, the answer is in verse 16, isn't it? Verse 16, the last few words of verse 16. All things were created through him and for what? And for him. For him. The Bible is saying that everything is a finger pointing to Christ. All creation exists for Christ. It is for his honor and his praise. That's uncomfortable though, isn't it? When you think about it. If you really think about that, that is uncomfortable, isn't it? Because it is saying that we are not the center of the universe. Hey, you are not even the center of your own life, let alone your neighborhood. Right? You exist for Christ. It is saying you will never make sense of your life until you get this truth. Until you realize you are created not for yourself but for another, for Christ. All things were created through him and for him. This truth is the answer to that difficult question you're asking about why something is happening to you now which you can't understand. Or something has happened to you in the past that you can't understand. Why am I going through this? What is going on in my life? All things were created through him and for him. It is for Christ. It means that though we do not know why God allows suffering and sin in the world, we know that it ultimately exists for the glory of Christ. It also means that the ultimate goal of our lives is not working so that one day we'll finally experience our definition of happiness. The goal of life is not to make sure everyone loves us. The purpose of of your life is not achieving material or worldly success. The ultimate purpose of your life is not about getting power and control. The goal of your life is not about being fit and beautiful. It is not about becoming popular. It is not about reaching that point where every person loves you or you love yourself no matter what. The goal of your life is not about having a good marriage. The goal of your life is not about having great kids who are responsible and tick all the boxes. 
You know, these are some of the things that the world tells us that this life is about. And if you don't have them, you are incomplete. You are a failure in life. Nah, beloved. Verse still is saying the goal of life is not about these things. It is not about us. All things were created through him and for him. The ultimate purpose of life is Christ. You exist to live for him. You are not the destination. You are a road sign to the true destination that is Christ. Oh, how our lives would be so different if we understood this truth. You exist for his glory. Your kids exist for his glory and and praise. Your family exists for his glory and praise. Everything you have exists for his glory and praise. And beloved, that is not a bad thing. It is an amazing privilege to be creatures of the holy God, the creator of the heavens and earth, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be created to glorify and honor God. That is the high point of all life. What else could be more important than to give the God who made me the praise? And so the question is, this morning, is do you realize this? And are you right now living for Christ? You are made for Christ, but are you submitting to that? You say, how do I do that? Well, living for Christ starts with admitting that you're not living for Christ right now. All roads for living for Christ starts from there. You, you must admit that you are living for you. You're a sinner. That's where it starts. Living for Christ, that's what you're saying to Christ. I admit I am a wretched sinner. I admit I was born in sin. And everything I do is tainted by my sin. I admit that even my good works are tainted with my rebellion against Christ. It is telling Christ, I cannot save myself. But I thank you that I don't have to. Because I know that you died on that cross in my place. You paid the price for my sin. And so I repent of my sin against you. And I am now trusting your death on the cross to cleanse me from my sin. To give me a new life with you. I am surrendering to you. For me to live now is all about you in life or death. You, Christ, are my Savior and my God. You are the King of my heart. When we surrender to Christ like that, then we are starting to live truly for Christ. We now get a new heart from God that loves Christ and longs to honor him. The Holy Spirit enters our hearts, doesn't he? He gives us a new love for Christ. It makes us want to do things that makes Christ pleased with our life. And the things we do for Christ now really honors Christ. Look, if you're not born again, whatever you do doesn't honor Christ. Because you're like a wife or a husband or a husband who has divorced his wife and yet sends her flowers. Will the wife be pleased? No. Because the fundamental thing is that you've divorced the wife. It's the same thing for you. You haven't truly repented yet. So whatever you do doesn't honor Christ. And so get this big thing Right and center, especially to the young people, get this right so that from here on, going forward, everything you'll be doing will be honoring Christ. Repent, surrender to Him, and of course, show that you've truly repented 
by getting baptized, declaring that to the world. Because if you don't do that, if you are not truly born again, if, if there's no evidence in your life that you're growing to love Christ, that you're growing to live a changed life, well, if you're not truly converted, then your end is destruction. So repent of your sin to God. Surrender your life to Him. Start truly living for Christ. You don't want to refuse to live for your Creator. I mean, what do you expect Christ to do with you if you say no to Him? What will the Creator do to a person who not only rejects Him as our Creator, but also rejects Him as our Savior? What punishment will God inflict on a person who willfully, Sunday after Sunday, rejects the blood of Christ, his creator, which was spilled on the cross to deliver him from sin? Who spits on his cross? What do you honestly expect God to do? Well, we cannot even begin to imagine the terrors of hell that God has reserved for those who reject him, both as creator and savior. Who not only reject him, but rejects him with the knowledge of having heard his word, his invitation offered to them this morning. So beloved, out of love, I beg you to repent of your sin now. Surrender to him, be born again. Let Christ cleanse you from your sin and give you a new life that lives for him. Do not take chances with hell. A quick word now for those of us who are truly trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior. What does this truth mean for us? Just, well, quickly, in your outline there. First of all, it means we must keep surrendering. We must keep surrendering, isn't it? We must keep surrendering to Christ. If you're truly born again, keep surrendering to Christ. This is what this truth calls us to do. For some of us here, it means perhaps doing this afternoon a house tour. Do a house tour at your home and say to Christ, Lord, that phone or tablet exists for you. I surrender it to you now. I am tired of allowing this piece of technology to take me away from you. As you do the house tour, perhaps look at your child and say, Lord, this child... I am holding in my arms, exists for you. So I surrender this child to you. Help me to worship you, not him. Lord, this sofa I love to sit on so much Sunday afternoon, rather than coming out even to worship. This sofa I love, which keeps me here rather than evening services, was created by you and for you. I am surrendering it to you. I want when I sit on it to honor you with my time and not to become an idol that even keeps me from the gathered assembly. And for some of us, we have to say that about our children. So these children, in general, these children you've given me, oh Lord, forbid it, Lord, that they should keep me from living for you, from committing my life to you, and from surrendering not only to you, but to the church. I don't want them to come in between you and mine. You and I, as it were. So do a house tour. Do a house tour. 
For some of us here, this is not a good time to tell the Lord, for those of us who are suffering. It's a good time to tell the Lord, Lord, this suffering I am going through is filling me with self-focus and self-pity. I know I'm hurting, but Lord, I know I also have a tendency to use my suffering not only as an excuse to control people around me, to treat them like I own them, but as an excuse to worship me. And so, Lord, I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my suffering to you. I don't want my suffering to come in between me and true worship of you. We are in a different situation, isn't it? So use, do a house tour. Whatever your situation, let these two truths grow your surrender to Christ. Two truths, isn't it? Christ created all things. And all things are for Christ. And may his name be praised.